Hey Amazon selling enthusiast, it's Eric here, and if you're tired of the inventory management struggle, I've got a game changer for you. InventoryLab.com. InventoryLab simplifies e-commerce inventory management, integrates seamlessly with Amazon, and even syncs effortlessly with QuickBooks for hassle-free accounting. Go to Milwaukee Mafia slash IL now because your success deserves efficient inventory management. Happy selling. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back. Winding down a long string of podcast episodes we've been recording here, huh? We have, yeah, because somebody likes to flee the country. The country every once in a while. Yeah. So. I'll still be here, but you'll be off gallivanting (laughs) with people in other nations uh but yeah so so i got a i got a mafia here and uh it's kind of an unusual one because uh it's not going to be about the milwaukee mafia all right that's that's what the people come here for i know stories not about the milwaukee i know i know does it include milwaukee at all or yes okay well that's at least we got half of it yes so so you and I uh, talked to a guy the other day, and during the course of the conversation, like I explained to him how we went through the first fifty years really fast, like we did fifty years in like under a year, right? And and there was some concern that oh, at that pace, we're almost at the end of the timeline, and like no. <laughs> not at all not at all and and i i bring this up to say that we're gonna be in like the 1960 1961 1962 those couple of years we're gonna be sitting here a while <laughs> so so i hope people are totally okay with that because i'm we're slowing down we're going extra thorough from here on out um so if you're like, man, are we ever going to get up to like 1970? Yeah, we are. Or, but, but it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a little while. We're covering everything. So just so people know that that's why it's it's going the pace that it is. So guess what we have today? I have no idea what we have today. We have a Chicago Heights story. Okay. Are you familiar with Chicago Heights? I've heard of it. Okay. I know nothing about where it is or anything. Okay, like Chicago that, so. Heights is just south, well, maybe not just south, but it's south of Chicago. Um it was historically one of the big mafia strongholds in the Chicago area. Um possibly still is. I'm not really all that familiar with the current events, but traditionally it was one of the major suburbs for the Chicago mob. And so our guy we're talking about today is a man named Sam Gazzino, which is a fun name to say. Um, And he was born in Chicago Heights, spent pretty much his entire life in Chicago Heights, um, spent his time with the Chicago Heights faction of the mob. So Chicago Heights story this time. So do I do I dare ask the question, why are we covering this particular story if the guy's from Chicago? We'll get to that really fast. All right. We'll get that, like, almost immediately. Okay, so he's born in 1930, just to give you a sense of the time frame here. Uh, He first comes to the attention of the FBI when he's involved in a prostitution arrest in Florida, of all places, 1955. He doesn't live in Florida. He still lives in Chicago Heights, so exactly why he's mixed up in prostitution in Florida, I'm not sure. Not relevant to today. What is relevant to today 
December 20th, 1959. Sam Gazzino, who's now a tavern keeper, is with truck driver Ralph Galdario and appliance repairman Alex Bender. They attempt to burglarize an A&P store at 1009 Marquette Avenue in South Milwaukee. Okay, and there we are. There we are. When, what year was this? 1959, December and, 1959. And you said that there it was at an, you said it was at an AMPM gas station. Not an AMPM, an A and P. Okay, I was gonna say, man, AMP AMPMs have been around that long. Maybe, but no, an A and P. All right. So they meet at Bender's house at five o'clock. They discuss their crime, and then they travel to Milwaukee around eight p.m. in Gazino's fancy new Cadillac. They took 41 North to Rawson <laughs> Avenue, and then Gazino dropped the men off while Gazino waited in the parked car. They took a long plank from the South Milwaukee Lumber Company next door and used it to get to the roof, where they made a hole to drop down inside. I don't know how long this plank well, is. But it must have been pretty long. must have been pretty <laughs> long, because they made a ramp all the way to the roof. They had first unscrewed a vent but determined that the drop down the vent was too far, so instead they made a hole with a crowbar. When they got to the safe inside, they noticed it had been pried open recently, so they did not try to open it. They're wondering, hmm, somebody beat us to the job. <laughs> they went back out. Patrolman James Breezemeister, and sorry if I goof that one, <laughs> was doing his rounds when he saw Gazino flash his lights and stop to investigate. Gazino was arrested and brought to the police station where he confessed and was found to have $338 in cash on him. You the, dirty man. Yeah. The, <laughs> the other two ran from the lumber yard, but Breezemeister fired over their heads with his, with his pistol to get their attention, get them to stop. The pair ran to East Ryan Road in Oak Creek. So I'm not exactly sure how far that is from South Milwaukee, but general area. I mean, it's not like they were running several miles. Mm -hmm. They dropped their tools, their burglary tools, and a forty-five on the way before being picked up by a young man in a small foreign car. The man brought them to a service station at 10617 South 27th Street in Franklin. I'm being very precise oh, with my addresses <laughs> here. Bender called the radio cab company and was transferred to the Cudahy Cab Company the dispatcher became suspicious and contacted the police. When Galdario was caught, he admitted his role and said Bender was the ringleader and had cased the supermarket the previous October, so two months earlier. Bender denied knowing anything about the crime. The patrolman was paying close attention to supermarkets. This very same A&P had been hit just a week ago and had $5,000 stolen from the safe, which is why the safe still had pry marks on it. Breezemeister had only been on the job a few months, but he had police work in his blood. His father, Frank Breezemeister, had been the chief of police for 31 years. <laughs> yeah. All right. Two days later, Gazino and Galdario were released on $5,000 bond. Their initial court date was set for January 4th. Alex Bender turned out to be an alias. His real name was Stephen Kramer, a man who had jumped bail after being arrested for burglarizing two Connecticut post offices. 
and stealing $21,000 from those post offices. He was handed over to federal authorities because it's not cool to steal Steal from post offices. And uh, and if you're stealing from post offices, I don't know. Like, it doesn't say this, but that might not even be the post office's money. Like, you might be stealing people's checks or stuff. I don't know. Yeah, because you would think $21,000 in a single post office. Seems Seems like a lot, yeah. But then again, maybe if every time somebody was mailing something back then, they were probably paying in cash. Yeah, it's possible. Big enough post office, I could see that. It's a lot of stamps, but yeah. could be. <laughs> a Chicago informant later claimed that he witnessed Chicago Heights capo, the boss in Chicago Heights, Frank Laporte, walk into the Chicago Heights Police Department and use the telephone to call a state's attorney in Wisconsin. Laporte allegedly offered the attorney $1,500 to drop the charges against Gazino. The informant did not know this attorney's name. So why would he walk into a, a police department just to make this phone call? It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they're implying here that the police department is corrupt in Chicago Heights. But why he would have to use their phone, I don't know. Yeah, that's very bizarre. On Monday, January 4th, so maybe two weeks later, Gazino and Galderia were bound over for trial, and their bail was increased to $10,000 by Judge Robert Hansen. Their attorney was Dominic Frenzy, the well-known attorney of the Milwaukee Mob. I, I was just going to say that name sounds very familiar. Yes. So He filed a writ of habeas corpus, which is what you do to try to get people released from jail. Uh, Judge Myron Gordon denied it, saying that he felt there was nothing unconstitutional about raising the bail. He said... These guys are staying put. I am unable to say that constitutional rights were violated by the bail increase, he said. And he said releasing them now would be a drastic and unnecessary action. Ultimately, they do get uh, their time in court, but they don't spend very much time in jail because lucky for them, they didn't actually get into the safe. So all they could really be getting trouble for was breaking into the building. So relatively minor. I mean, not that you should be breaking into buildings, but... They didn't actually steal anything. So that's the Milwaukee thing. But we're going to keep going since we've since we've got this guy right. here. <laughs> we're going to hear the rest of his story? Yes. In May 1963, Florence Casino registered the racehorse Celtic Kid. This was likely a front for Sam Casino, and the horse was sold a year later. At the time of registration, Florence gave us her resident Chicago height Gave us her references, sorry, gave us her references, Chicago Heights Judge Robert Meyer, Attorney Silvio Piacente, and Cook County Commissioner Charles Grupp. So uh, her references were some very high-profile people in Chicago Heights. Sam was picked up in August 1964, along with Joseph Barone, for trying to fix a dog race in Daytona Beach, Florida. It doesn't give me specifics on that. But fixing a dog race is always fun. Wasn't this, and this was the same guy that had previously, earlier on in the story, had some connection to Florida, didn't he? Yes. Which is interesting. So he must have had some tight-knit people in Florida. Yeah, and that's actually not uncommon. A lot of the Chicago mob guys would go back and forth between Chicago and Florida a lot. That's that's pretty typical. Uh, In August 1965, he went to the Arlington Park horse race track. Um, he was picked up there for being a bookie 
And then when they looked into it, they saw that he had a past history of doping those dogs in Florida. <laughs> so he was blocked. He's no longer allowed to go to the Arlington Park. In the 1970s, he owned the Plantation Restaurant and the Florence Sausage Company. Uh, so that's that's nice. Sounds like he's going legit. Yeah. He then also owned the Vagabond Lounge in Chicago Heights, a strip club known for gambling and prostitution activities. His brother Richard handled the gambling and the Casey Cab Company that was headquartered there. So his, his brother had a cab company that ran out of a strip club. <laughs> Weird. Yes. Sam Casino was with Al Pilato in July 1981 when Pilato was shot by cab driver Dan Bounds at the Lincolnshire Golf Club. Also present were Rudy Bomanti and Nick Fushi. Um, probably just ruined those. Uh, Pilato survived, and Bounds later confessed to the Chicago Crime Commission, saying he was forced to commit the failed murder by Sam Gazzino. Turns out Sam Gazzino was Dan Bounds' former father-in-law. He had divorced Sam's daughter, and Sam made a deal with him that if he would assassinate his mob buddy, he would arrange it so that Dan could spend more time with his children. Did that make sense? Kind of. It's kind of creepy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Sam Gazzino and Al Pilato are two mob guys. They're out golfing. A guy shows up and shoots El Pilato, who survives. Okay. The guy turns out to be the former son-in-law of Sam Gazzino, who wants Pilato shot. And he gets his former son-in-law to do it, not because he's a mob guy, he's not, but because he doesn't have custody of his own children, which would be Sam's grandchildren. Oh, okay. So he says, "You do this, I'll make sure that you can see your right. kids." If you if you a murder while. a guy for me, I'll let you, you see, see your, your children. children. Wow. Yeah, I I want to make this very I'm clear clearer. because it's it's a weird setup. <laughs> I I want you spending time with my grandkids only if you murder <laughs> a dude. Dude for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two weeks after Nick D'Andrea's corpse was found in the trunk of a burning car. Gazino was found dead in a ditch just east of Beecher, Illinois, which I don't know where Beecher is, but he was shot in the head and also had his throat slashed. Ooh. Following Gazino's murder, Richard Gazino, his brother, Dale Costello, and Robert Chiraki, Chiraci? Uh, that one I'm <laughs> sure I'm messing up. They fled the Chicago area and took up residence in Alaska, of all places. Wow. Yeah. So, um... Just su a super summary of his life. So this comes up on our timeline because he's involved in a in a grocery store burglary in South Milwaukee. But um, this isn't just like some small time burglar. Like no. he goes he goes on to running clubs and and restaurants and and ordering people to murder people, people. and then himself getting both shot and his throat slashed. I assume, did you look into, like, him getting killed? Was that an unsolved murder? Like, they have no idea who did it? Or it is an, uns it's an unsolved murder, murder yeah. yeah. Like, most of them are. Like, most of them are, yeah. Um, yeah, and even, like, the El Pilato shooting, I think that would have remained unsolved, except for the fact the guy, you know, wasn't a mob guy. So, I think he kind of he came clean on that one because he wanted to see his kids. And at that point, he probably thought it was better to turn in his father-in-law and you said when he so when he got did the bank robbery in milwaukee it was the milwaukee mobs 
attorney that actually helped him right get out of it. So, did you find like I assume that the Milwaukee mob is the one that brought him in to be the lawyer on this thing. So, but did you find anything with communication between them to set that up, or or no. are we just assuming that that's the reason he was brought into it? I mean, it's pretty reasonable assumption, but right. Well, so I, I I'll answer that, but I got to step back to answer it. So I don't see any connection, like as far as communication goes. Um, I definitely think it's likely that when they got in trouble, they asked. They said, you know, hey, Milwaukee mob, who do you Who's guys a good use? person to, to get yeah, out of this? I don't place. think it's just a coincidence that he's the attorney they hired. I'm sure that he was referred. But I'm going to step back and say, this, this thing today that we're talking about, this came about in a backwards way. Um, because once upon a time, this is many years ago now, um, this is over 10 years ago. This is when I lived in Madison, uh, which, you know, listeners don't know when that is, but that was a while back. And uh, a guy contacted me and he asked if I wanted to like co-write with him an encyclopedia on the Chicago mafia. And obviously it never happened. Like we don't have that, but we did some crazy work on that. Uh, so we got, I mean, hundreds of FBI files tons and tons of government documents thousands upon thousands of like chicago newspaper articles i mean we went all out uh so i've got like tons of information on chicago mob guys like sitting in a folder on my computer that doesn't do anything it just sits there but anyway the reason i I say this is so i was putting together like the entry on sam casino Mm -hmm. and that's how this came up had I just been doing like the Milwaukee mob stuff, I don't know that this story would have ever come to my attention because it doesn't really have a Milwaukee link other than the attorney. Right. So it's, it's, if there was some communication there, and there probably was to a point, like it's not obvious from the record, but it is also weird to me that they're burglarizing this store in South Milwaukee because traditionally, you're not supposed to do things in other, other people's, people's territory. territory. And I feel pretty confident that South Milwaukee, Milwaukee would be Milwaukee thing. territory. Uh, so I feel like they would have had to get the okay before they did that. I could be wrong, but but typically that's how that works. You wouldn't do that so because, he, because you're supposed to at least ask, like, hey, is this store owned by somebody that we're not supposed to screw with, you know? So... Because that store owner could be paying from for protection from Milwaukee exactly. mobs or something, and, and exactly. you can't go up there and hit it if they're taking protection. Right, from or it could be you know, or it could be owned by a cousin of somebody. I mean, it could be any number of reasons that you shouldn't hit that store. So it seems to me that they would have cleared it first, but I don't In, know. We don't. We don't have that. We don't have those records. I mean, can you think of a reasonable reason why? Would would for some reason Milwaukee have brought these guys up from Chicago to to do this hit on? The, I can't imagine. I can in my head think of a reason why they would ever do that. But yeah, not really. So yeah, I mean, there's there's reasons to to do things like that. Like as far as it's it's easier to get people from out of town to do things because you don't get recognized. So there's mm-hmm. that. Milwaukee had plenty of burglars. 
so as well. Like, but but it could be, you know, if you burglarize it and then you're running from the cops, the cops might know who you are. So it makes more sense to call in somebody from however many miles away. I mean, it's a pretty good distance. But, I mean, in that situation, you're much better off. They they were pretty tight with, like, Racine guys. You right. Know, it probably would have just made more sense to have a Racine guy come up and right. do it or something no, like that. No, and I agree. You, I you agree. Know. So I there's it's very odd to me. I think there's something not quite adding up, but the fact that they got the Milwaukee attorney to represent them it had to have been okay on some, some level, level because otherwise they would have instead of saying, Hey, here's the attorney you should use. They would have said, no, uh, you're, you're, you're coming in. Yeah. You're coming in our territory. What are you doing? Yeah. And then they would have had to have a sit down meeting and the, they would have got chewed out maybe worse. So I, I think there's a piece of the story missing here, but this is what I have. So it's what we get. I got an, just another thought on this. So, sure. so you talked about this is this is um these guys are from Chicago Heights. Right. So which I assume down in Chicago there's multiple different like factions of the mafia more or less yeah. different areas and things like that. Yeah, so like how how Chicago works is there's like the top guy, same as any other mob city, but it's it's more fractured where there's like five I don't know what it is today, but there used to be like five different neighborhoods. There was Chicago Heights. There was the West Side, North Side, Chinatown. There were different neighborhoods, and they all kind of had their own Little boss. mafia, but they... Yeah, they he still were... answered to the big guy, but they kind of ran day-to-day things by themselves. Sense. So, um, so yeah. So, like, in Chicago Heights at this time, it's Frank Laporte. Frank Laporte would be the, the guy who runs Chicago Heights. And Frank Laporte knew guys in Milwaukee. Like, he was very good friends with uh, Frank Legelbo, who we, we haven't talked about him in a while, but he used to come well, up all the, the time. time yeah. Um, because he was involved in, well, not necessarily involved in, but his name came up during some murder investigations. His uncle was like the biggest pimp in Milwaukee for a while. And they were very tight. So it's, it's possible there was some backdoor communication here. I don't know. So, like, but it, as far as the neighborhoods in Chicago go, yeah, was there like neighborhoods? I guess would be the term, like subchapters of the main Chicago mafia, right? That Milwaukee was more tight with. You know what I mean? Like, did they do a lot of work with Chicago um, Heights as opposed to maybe Chinatown or something like that? Or yeah, or, yeah. I mean, I, I've never really thought about it, but I suppose probably, um, definitely. The north side has more overlap for obvious reasons because it's you know the north Close side, us. but um, but yeah, Chicago Heights has some overlap, not so much. Yeah, I don't know that the Chinatown guys really did anything. A couple of the Chinatown guys like would have summer homes in Lake Geneva, so you know they'd come into I mean, the area, but that's that's pretty typical. A lot of Chicago people have summer homes in Lake Geneva. Um, but yeah, Chicago Heights, I think there's more overlap, and the North Side's more overlap. But yeah, not so much some of the other ones. I don't know. I never really put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> but but yeah, I think that's probably fairly fair. So so it would make sense that you're saying like there is some overlap here. So it, it would make sense that possibly either either they discussed this hit on this store. Yeah. Or they did it and then Milwaukee was kind of like, well, what the hell? But they didn't really care about the store for any reason, so they were, they might have just been like, "What? Well, yeah, whatever. You know, it's fine that you did it. 
Or, yeah. I mean, or do you think that's just a big no-no in the mafia world that... I think generally you wouldn't do it wait, without, a, without an okay. Okay. I, you know, I could be wrong, but that's my general feeling is that when you know you're in another... I don't know how you say another mafia's territory, but that sounds funny because they're all the same mafia, but they're different. You know, they're the same, but they're different. Right. And typically, yeah, you typically get clearance because they don't like it when you're trying to expand your territory. That's a, that's a huge no, no. Yeah. It's just like a big, it's a big slap in their face. Right. Like, like, what are you kind trying to come up and take our, take over us or what are you, what is this play? here? Right. So, So, yeah, I think, I think there was some pride behind the scenes communication. I don't know. I'll, you know. I'll look into it a little bit more before the the show notes go online. Probably won't answer that question because I I highly doubt that that exists in the records. But eh, who knows? Maybe we'll find something. Cool. Well, I I think I'm out of questions. Do you got anything else you want to add to this one? Or no, it's pretty straightforward. It's just a story of of a burglary. It just happens to fit where we are in the timeline, and it's an excuse to talk about a, a Chicago okay. guy. So, so got to go off, it. and he's never going to come up again. But, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about this. He's just one of the many crazy people connected to all these stories. <laughs> all right. Then, Gavin, go ahead and hit him with the, the, your famous contact info. Yeah. So if you want to reach out, the best way to do that is MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. Um, if you don't want to reach out, but you just want to see what I have online, MilwaukeeMafia.com is a great resource for all sorts of stuff. Um I am on Facebook. We try to discourage it, but if you reach out to me on Facebook, sooner or later I'll respond. They do tend to sit there for a bit because it's—I don't like the way it's set up. But I will get to back to it eventually. But but email is preferable. And as always, we do have a wonderful Patreon. We you do. can go to MilwaukeeMafia.com, find the link right there on the main page to click on and join the Patreon. That gets you access to two bonus episodes every week. Not every week. Or, or, well, two bonus episodes a month. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. We better make sure we get yeah. that right. Uh, hopefully you've heard that enough that you just know, but, yeah. and and you can just chuckle at how stupid Eric no, is. No, 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 but you don't, don't <laughs> want to mislead them. They're not getting yeah. two bonus a week. We're not we that yeah. kind of time. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so get over there, join the Patreon. Otherwise, if you can always leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And we will be back next week with a new Patreon episode and in two weeks with a regular Mafia episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.